This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. On the panel this week, we have Deputy Editor of the Times, Emma Tucker, examining the latest attempt to deal with the migrant crisis. Columnist Daniel Finkelstein says junior doctors must face reality. And Matthew Paris asks, in the wake of the death of Nancy Reagan, how long do you have to live in order to become a national treasure? We begin with Emma Tucker. David Cameron, still showing no signs of flagging, has been back in Brussels this week, but this time to tackle Europe's ongoing and deeply challenging refugee crisis. After the usual late-night discussions, an ambitious outline for a deal emerged under which there will be mass deportations of immigrant arrivals in Greece in exchange for a long list of sweetness to Turkey. Cue lots of lugubrious jokes about carpet haggling in the bazaar. Turkey holds all the cards on the migrant crisis and will be sure to play them hard ahead of March the 17th when EU leaders meet again to agree the deal. So Emma, talk us through the deal, how you see it and how on earth this could possibly work. Well, the outline of the deal is relatively simple. It's that Europe will be able to send back to Turkey any migrants that arrive in Greece and in return for Turkey taking these migrants back the EU will agree to take a processed migrant, as it were, from a refugee camp in Turkey and relocate them somewhere in the European Union. So the idea is to cut off the the very dangerous business of the boats crossing from Turkey to Greece and to also kill off the whole uh, business model of the people smugglers. It looks fairly convincing on paper. It's a way of cutting the flows of migrants that are making the dangerous crossing. But of course, like anything in this area, it's absolutely fraught with problems. And uh, to actually get the deal on March the 17th is going to require a lot of hurdle jumping. And it comes with a huge price tag as well. And and Turkey can basically just name their price as to how much money they want. Well, Turkey, as I said, Turkey does hold all the cards. So first of all, there is a huge price tag. At the moment, it's running at about three billion, but that's likely to go up. Secondly, Turkey is demanding a lifting of visas for Turkish citizens who want to travel in the European Union. And they also want to reopen their accession talks for the EU. So all in all, there's a long list of demands from Turkey, some of which will make many people in the European Union feel very uncomfortable. And Matthew, what do you make of this? Is this we've, we've talked about sticking plasters before uh, dealing with the migrant crisis. Is this just another one of those or is this the sort of big idea that that's been needed? I think I think it might be the thing from which some kind of solution finally emerges. It all sounds, as Emma describes it, a little bit too neat, the the idea of kind of (laughs) notching up uh, one immigrant, one refugee turned back with another refugee plucked from a camp. It all depends on how how the the Turks count these things and how they categorise 
people, but if, if it means that Turkey is coming on board and trying to join the European Union in stopping the thing, then I think that's good news. What do you make of it, Danny? Well, there isn't a solution. Of course, uh, sticking plaster is quite a good idea if you don't have some sort of overall solution. And so I'm not against sticking plasters, otherwise we wouldn't have them. And so I think this is just a small but significant uh, step forward, and it's a good idea in itself. It prevents one aspect of the crisis, but it doesn't deal with the other problem. Uh, you know, the other big problems, which are one, the fact that these people are being driven out of their homes by a government that we can't stop or control uh, in Syria and other places in the world, and secondly, um, the understandable reluctance of European people, in this case, less Britain, but Britain obviously as well, to take in people from other countries when they have their own social. Problems. Problems. And that's true in, in, in the way that the, the crisis spread across Europe into countries which normally have probably seen this as being a problem that's a long way away, whether it's Germany or Sweden, it's, you know, it's right. Well, lots of places in the, in the world have had refugee yeah. crises. This is just our sort of our turn uh, in Europe and there isn't an easy solution to it. And indeed, the refugee crisis itself is only part of an even larger uh, issue, which is the fact that people can migrate easily and will do move from areas which are well off, uh, less well off to areas which are well off. And those countries that are well off don't want them to come, sometimes um, not perceiving actually that uh, them coming can be in their interests. And Emma, obviously all this is being played out while Britain is having the debate about the EU referendum. It's exactly what David Cameron didn't want, it the is. two things become knotted up, but it, it's going to happen anyway. I think it's inevitable that the two become knotted up. I mean, Britain has an opt-out from the um, arrangements. So, well, it has an opt-out from Schengen. So, so to some extent, we're shielded from this. But we can't pretend it's not a really important issue. You know, any sort of migration that affects Europe is ultimately going to affect us. So obviously, um, he's, you know, it's important. But I think, yeah, the, the fear is the issue of asylum seekers, migrants fleeing war will get muddled in people's minds with the free movement of people, which is essentially about people from within the EU looking for jobs. The price that that Europe has paid for this deal falls into three parts. One, money. Two, accession to the European Union or movement towards accession. And, And three, the lifting of visa restrictions. Money, it's a lot of money, that can be paid. Accession to the European Union, I don't think, is ever going to happen. But it's perfectly possible to say that, yes, we will move towards mm. it. So we can appear to be fulfilling yeah. that, although the, the good faith may not be there. The third one hasn't had much concentration. But on the continent of Europe, the idea of Turks travelling into Europe without needing visas any longer, especially with a very large number of Turkish immigrants into Germany in, in the 20th century, I would have thought that will raise a few eyebrows. Well, we had a piece from Stephen Wolfe, the UKIP MEP, this week on Red Box, making exactly the argument we expect them to make that you know if we if Britain stays in the European Union, yeah. Turkey's going to join the European Union. That's huge numbers more people who could then feasibly come into the EU and then to Britain. I mean, whether or not it actually happens, the fact that people are talking about Turkey joining will be used by those who want us to leave the EU altogether. Yeah, I think. I mean, I agree with Matthew. The the actual accession of Turkey to the EU is a very very long way off mm. if it ever happens at all. But I agree that the issue of of Turks travelling visa-free in Europe is unlikely to go unchallenged by a lot of countries that would be very nervous about seeing large numbers of Turks. I mean, I think there are still a lot of caveats, there are a lot of conditions attached to the lifting of 
um, visas and they may well phase it in by introducing it first of all for students uh, or you know some sort of of categories that are easy to control to begin with but um, I can't see it happening overnight I mean they're talking about it happening happening in June but you know (laughs) three months is a long time. Uh, June isn't very far away which actually brings us to the um, the referendum itself we've been asking since David Cameron got his deal, I've been asking everybody on the podcast panel to predict what they think will happen in the referendum and to predict the percentage vote that Remain will get. You're allowed up to two decimal places. We'll start with you, Matthew. What's decimal places or percentage? Percentage. So you let you can have 62.45 percent, and there'll be some sort. We're working. There'll be some sort of prize arranged before we get to you. <laughs> so Matthew, what do you think the percentage of the vote that Remain? Yeah, well, will I'll, get? I'll go with that. 62.5 percent for uh, <laughs> for Remain. And perhaps, well, what does that leave? 30, <laughs> 36.5% for Very good. For, for You've me. done the math in both yeah. directions. Emma? Uh, I agree with Matthew that the that we'll vote to stay, but I don't think the vote, the Remain vote will be as high. I would say more like 55% for Remain. Do you, do you want to make I use of any... No, because then I'll have to do the maths. <laughs> you don't have to do the maths. 45%. Very good. Uh, I, would, I would certainly predict that if Matthew's right and the Remain gets 62.5, that Leave will get uh, therefore 37.5%. Yes, right. uh, unless 1% of people, of course, spoil their ballots and we count that too. So I, because precision is ridiculous in such a probabilistic environment, I'm just going to say 60%. 60%. Uh, because the uh, accuracy beyond that point will be spurious. But I share... Matthew's view that it will be a fairly firm victory for Remain. So far, combining the podcast panellists with people getting in touch on Twitter, overall, I think the average is about 53% for Remain. Um, but you can you can uh, submit your guess on Twitter using the hashtag RedboxSweepstake, and we'll keep updating that as we get closer, and the prize gets bigger. Right, uh, Danny, let's move on to talking about Junior Doctors. It's time for the junior doctors to settle. There's no objective wrong or right answer to the question of how much doctors should be paid, but the doctors are paid by the NHS, and at some point they have to come to terms with the people who pay them, with their employers, and therefore they need to settle. So this is the ongoing... It's sort of, it's sort of slightly dropped out of the headlines since the EU debate's taken off properly, but the, the, the dispute between Jeremy Hunt and the junior doctors goes on. If you can, just try and sum up what they're particularly cross about. The NHS is trying to negotiate a new contract with with junior doctors. This has been going on for quite a long time, but it's been given an added impetus by the fact that they want a seven-day national health service. And therefore, there have been a whole series of negotiations... The NHS has moved quite a lot, providing with pay protection, some uh, safety precautions to ensure that people don't work too many days in a row, uh, but they are not able to reach an agreement. One big issue remaining is whether Saturday should be treated as a normal day for pay purposes. This doesn't alter the entire package, just alters the gearing for weekends. My point is, I actually understand why junior doctors don't want to work Saturday any more Saturdays and don't want the contract to be changed people are averse to change and they can't see what the advantages in it for them but in my view at the end of the day after reasonable precautions have been taken after they've been listened to and respected and some changes have been made to ensure that it's safe and to ensure that their pay is roughly equal and all of their most urgent inquiries have been met at that point the people who manage the NHS have got to be able to manage it I had a very interesting exchange with Johan Malawana the person who heads the the BMA Junior Doctors Committee and he asserted straight out basically that politicians are here today and gone tomorrow and therefore it was for the junior doctors who are going to be around in the NHS 
NHS for many years to determine how the NHS worked. And he said this straight out. I thought it was an extraordinary claim uh, and one that can't be accepted. At the end of the day, while they have to be respected, and I do respect them absolutely hugely, if they can't come to a settlement, there is no alternative but to uh, but to impose the contract or to give up on an idea which the government of the day has thought is the right way to manage the NHS. The management of the NHS has decided this is the right way to manage the NHS and is part of a package on seven-day elections that's been passed in a general election. You, you have to wonder whether the government has handled its side of these negotiations yeah. very well though I know lots of Julia doctors and that the, the bitterness there seems to be among them has rather taken me by surprise. They, they really feel that they have not been given the, the true picture. They haven't been, I think, by the British Medical Association. But when Jeremy Hunt started right at the beginning by saying that actually he was going to raise doctors' pay, that was, it wasn't a lie, but it was disingenuous mm. in the old-fashioned sense. Of the word, the rate of pay would be raised, but obviously they can't all be taking home more because the thing is revenue neutral. And I, I don't think it's a mark of success when the government, as the employer, has managed to engender so much bitterness amongst a lot of perfectly intelligent people. That's obviously true. But by the way, he didn't say that he was going to increase their pay. I mean, it has been. I've been engaged with the junior doctors for a long time. It's clear that at the beginning, junior doctors were already feeling they didn't. They worried about their terms and conditions, and they were on. You know, they don't didn't like the Tories much either. Quite a lot of them. Some of them did. It wasn't a party political thing. But they, they, there was quite a lot of people who were ready to be cross at the beginning. Uh, perhaps the government could have handled it there, but better then. But it's simply, for example, not true that um, Jeremy Hunt said he was going to increase their pay. He said he was going to increase their basic rate of pay in order to, to act as pay protection for the fact they were spreading across the week. And the moment the government moves to address one problem, another one props up. I agree that, you know, as the NHS is the employer, an employer... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Boy has to ask itself searching questions as to how it lost the confidence of its employees, and I understand that, but at a certain point, having understood that and accepting it and sort of wanting to do what one can, the people who work for the NHS have got to sort of sign the contracts they're being offered. And therefore, yes, their objections should be listened to. And yes, it doesn't reflect well on the, any employer if it has this dispute. But still. Emma, something's gone badly wrong, isn't it? it, it Jeremy Hunt appears to become the new Michael Gove in that 
uh, is crossing over from debates in the House of Commons to being the punchline on comedy panel shows. That he's become a target for that sort of Facebook campaigning, and he's just he's he's the he's the bogeyman of this government in the way that, that Michael Gove became with teachers in the last one. Well, he undoubtedly has become that, and he's certainly very, very unpopular amongst doctors. But I wonder whether, since the story was last in the headlines, some public sympathy for the junior doctors, which was very high to begin with, has started to drop away. I think there is, a, my hunch is that people are thinking, well, hang on a minute, this is now about something that so many of us already have to do. It's about working at weekends. We don't get paid any extra. Uh, you're very well paid doctors. I, You know, now's the time to settle. I mean, for all that Jeremy Hunt will remain unpopular, I do think there's possibly a slight change of sentiment in the in the in the general view from the public. I, I like to amuse myself when the BMA huffs and puffs about oh, we already have seven day working, and anyway, it isn't because of uh, weekend breaks that that you have these extra deaths. I like to amuse myself with wondering or imagining how the BMA would be reacting if we did have seven-day working and the government was proposing not to have seven-day working and uh, a lighter regime at uh, weekends, they would be absolutely up in arms, the health of patients yeah. being threatened. But he's also, yeah. Jeremy Hunt is also a ludicrous person to choose as an incredible <laughs> sort of revolutionary, unreasonable person. By the way, Michael Gove did drive at the issue in a kind of, he would almost acknowledge it himself, a Leninist manner and, you know, uh, but he, he's very different from Jeremy Hunt. I don't know what it is that BMA expect will replace Jeremy Hunt. Will it be somebody else who doesn't want to reform the NHS in any way or change their terms and conditions. I, I think that you know anybody who works for an employer knows that sometimes the employer makes changes. You think, I wonder whether this is very sensible and it's not very convenient for me. And you kind of negotiate and you make your point. But in the end, you have to sort of accept after a degree of compromise, that the, the employer has to run the organisation. Yes. And the idea of setting Jeremy Hunt up as some sort of ludicrously sort of uh, antagonistic figure, I mean, it's absurd even on the face of it, I I'm don't afraid. Think it's, I don't think it's the... the, the he's not belligerent, but it, the, there's something kind of smooth-talking, mm. everything will be fine, sunshine will break out. It, it just irritates people. Well, it clearly has. You know, it would be absurd for me to argue <laughs> that that hasn't happened. You know, so... so I, I think you can't conceivably argue that junior doctors have been treated in the way they'd want because look at the fact that they're very, very angry. But I no longer know what it would take for them to agree that they've been given enough. And that is a very odd position. I don't know what it is Jeremy Hunt can say or do that would satisfy them, nor do I think that they have been subject to some great injustice. They are among the richest people in the richest country in the world, working for one of the best financed uh, health services, and they are one of, by the way, also one of the best paid doctors in the world. And why? Because they've got a very good trade union in the BMA, and it's doing what trade unions do. This is a trade dispute. But these are obviously very, um, by the way, you know, very honourable and respectable people. I, I understand their feelings, but at some point they have to address the question of how are they going to actually deal with the position they're now in, and they've got to come to terms in some way, or the government has no alternative but to impose. Well, let's leave that there now and move on to Matthew's topic for the week. The death of Nancy Reagan at 94 and the warm and respectful commentary the following morning prompts me to ask how long do you have to live in order to become a national treasure 
Obviously, if you're a Nazi war criminal or something, you're ruled out. But in, in politics, even complete rascals or dangerous lunatics, I think of Tony Benn or Manny Shinwell or Dennis Skinner, see, seem to outlive their bad boy reputation and, and just become loved by the nation. Actually, Ronald Reagan himself became a bit of an example of a national treasure, although a very uh, abrasive and divisive figure earlier on. Nancy Reagan had a fascinating life. There's a really good obituary of her in The Times this week. And and she's obviously an estimable person, but she was very unpopular at one time. I think she spent half a million dollars on on a new new dinner service for, for the White House at a time of austerity. But all that is forgotten if you get old enough. What do you think the age is? And when could I be a national treasure? <laughs> I, I think you, you, yes, you I already your are. My mission in life was to not become a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to fight against it. I would have thought anything over 80. Anything over 80? Yeah. Put you, you put you in the... Uh, you're at least eligible do to you, be a national Do you have treasure. to do something in the bit between leaving the front line, as it were, to... Cease to threaten anybody. Yes. Cease to threaten anybody yeah. and maybe take up a good cause, which is what Nancy Reagan yeah. did, because she did take up the interesting mm. cause of Alzheimer's. I mean, it was entirely because, you know, motivated by her husband who suffered from it. But her, she was quite, she was quite innovative and she was quite radical on the issue of um, stem cell treatments and testing. I remember making a joke about at an SDP conference about Manny Shinwell. Somebody had proposed a, a citizen's income, and I said this scheme will be like Manny Shinwell; it'll last forever without ever doing anything useful, and people. People booed me, um, <laughs> even though this was the STP conference, all yeah. of which really disagreed with Manny Shinwell on almost everything. Man- Manny um, Shinwell was this Labour MP who was fiercely anti-monarchist, and he used to be a real bogey figure amongst the, the yeah. centre and the right and Daily Telegraph readers and Times readers too, but he, 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 did, he did just become a kind of teddy bear I mean, also, in the end. Denny Skinner is, by any objective standards, never, ever funny. And yet he has this reputation. I mean, he is honestly. Oh, say, none of his supposed jokes are ever funny, and yet he has this great reputation. So there's definitely something where you live. Mm. But now, is Nancy Reagan though quite a good example of this? This is a question because lots of people loved Nancy Reagan when she was first lady. That's n- of course not true of the whole country, but it may not be true of the whole country now. You know, the Reagans had lots of fans. Well, yes, she had supporters and she had enemies, but but at the end, she has only supporters. So here's the test. Cherie Blair. I was about to say Cherie Blair. Will she ever be in How long does Cherie Blair have to live for? Cherie will do it. I don't think Tony will, but I think Cherie will. But Cherie might. I always liked Cherie. Okay, and then my Mm, other other question is um, uh, (laughs) Norman (laughs) Tebbit. Will he ever marry? Will he ever... You think so? The bomb blast, I wouldn't say. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, not with me. (laughs) <laughs> but, but he's not because he's still Sorry. he's still he's still in the fight, if you like. Yes. He's still very active. Yes, exactly. So he's not. He doesn't he's qualify. Not, he's not retired. I had an argument with him only this week. So <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Thatcher never became a national treasure. Uh, uh, she was perhaps just too divisive. Yeah, until she died. But actually, even, even when no, she no, died, even then, she didn't. You're right. She's, she's still got. Yeah. She's still yes. got a song in the top ten. Yes, I think that's, that's, that's a true. Sign. John Major achieved an incredible thing of having yes. become a national treasure while still prime minister and very unpopular. Yes, and <laughs> this was a very clever he's trick. He's definitely a national treasure, and he's nowhere near eighty yet. So I don't know how he pulled that off. Harold Macmillan, of course, did become a national treasure. Was he in his uh, yes old age? Whereas Harold Wilson never really did. It's the power to hurt people it's when people feel that they might still be hurt by somebody or that they have Mm. been hurt by somebody so christine hamilton for instance no one sees her as a threat to anybody and uh, extraordinarily she has become a national treasure but there's also is there also something about how even even when 
even if you disagreed with it, you, mm. you can admire the fact they were quite good at what they were doing. That's, yes. There's something mm. about, like the John Major thing, he was in, the people sort of, you know, he became Prime Minister, which marks you out as having mm. achieved something. It, 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 you can, maybe, I think Tony Blair might be a bit of a stretch, but maybe eventually people might come to recognise, well, he... He achieved a lot in a in a long time, and now Gordon he's no Brown. threat to me. We can admire him. Challenge Gordon Brown. Would you, could he be a national treasure? He's sort of. I think he bordered. He, he bordered on it I around the time he left. I think a, a long way hence. <laughs> but I, I want to know, Matthew, what's your strategy for avoiding becoming a national treasure? Because you did once say that's what you wanted to. I, do. I, I, I will. Um, blurt out something extremely offensive in the times or perhaps on one of these podcasts so just when people are beginning to think that i'm no longer when i was commenting you attacked, you attacked, you attacked anyway. cyclists um, oh, yes. which, got, oh, which, which i think yeah. probably that's robbed good. either of us that's of it. any chance Done. of being a national yeah. treasure forever yeah. you can give up now uh, uh, danny in the house of laws that, that's full of that's that's just a, a day centre for national treasures. <laughs> yeah, i mean I, I do i do think it does indicate you, you know you do get from people as they grow older and there's less sort of involved in the day-to-day that they, they can have perspective and they can have wisdom and it's less threatening I guess and so I sort of do see its value that sort of becoming of a, a source of wisdom when someone is actually a you know quite a partisan political figure. Is there a rivalry in the House of Lords for national treasure status? Do you find <laughs> one treasure kind of elbowing another out of the camera line saying, move over teddy bear? Well, even, even in the scrabble for who gets to speak next, yeah. is your national treasure status no well um no the, actually mainly it is whether someone's got any expertise so if <laughs> if a former foreign secretary gets up and at the same time a liberal democrat councillor from cambridge the um people will tend to sort of call for the national treasure as it were the, yeah. for, the former foreign secretary to speak so the house does welcome a you know which doesn't necessarily work to my advantage does welcome a degree of uh, great wisdom and age and expertise but it'd be interesting to see whether the national treasures there's a bit of a battle for national treasures at the moment from mm. the brexit and the remain camp it's like which national treasure can you get on side is it possible to re-politicise national treasures after yes. they've moved Has out? Has anyone got Michael Palin, for instance, to say he's <laughs> for staying or Yes, leaving? or the one I keep thinking is uh, at, uh, David Attenborough. He would surely be the ultimate prize yes. for yes. either camp. Well, but or so Terry far, Bogan, but that's too late. for it. Staying in. Well, you never know, but yeah. I, I imagine we're, that'll we're be phase that two be because we're waiting to hear yet from the National We were told last week that all fish would vote to stay in, so yes. maybe. No, but, uh, but animals <laughs> are going to vote to leave, according to our own headline. Yes, somebody's reckoned that animals are definite outers. The uh, well, Boris Johnson is sort of a national treasure, isn't he? He's he's a sort of he's he's sort of this process of the Brexit debate is slightly repoliticising him. Yes, he's, he's, he's gone, <laughs> but he's gone from being an almost apolitical figure of fun who every, who everybody likes across the board. And now half the country doesn't like. Yeah, and and I think I think actually there's a sort of serious point with Boris, which is um, I've realised that his problem is not going to be with Matthew, uh, who's you know not who's annoyed, or with him for being on the wrong side of it. It's going to be with his own side. If um, Matthew and I are right about our predictions on the and remain uh, were to win the referendum quite comfortably, I think he might find that people on the Leave side of the referendum um, say that he didn't do enough or mm. hasn't been good enough, and that actually is the political threat to him. Because inside the Conservative Party, if he has, if he's an icon of Leave, he'll he can take that 
Um, it doesn't matter if uh, even if Remain wins, as long as he's an icon of Leave. If he loses the status of being icon of Leave, uh, as well as having lost the status of being national treasure, then he has trouble. Well, before we get dragged back into talking about the dreaded EU referendum, <laughs> let's uh, leave it there. But you can find out more about all the issues we've been talking about today at thetimes.co.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or Android device so it arrives every week. Sign up to the Redbox morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox forward slash sign up. But for now, from Emma, Danny, Matthew and me, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.